0: Good morning, One Chapel. I am so thankful that you've joined us this morning. And I am excited about the month of August where we have started in-person gatherings on Sundays. And it was so great to see so many of your faces last Sunday, but I'm also excited about so many of you who joined us right here for online church as well. And so our team's been talking a lot about being both and leaders, that we are going to serve people wherever they're at, whatever their needs are, and we're going to gather in-person on Sundays at 9 a.m., and we're going to gather online at 10:30 a.m. every Sunday. So I'm just grateful that we are finding ways during this season to worship together as one chapel. So thank you for being here. Let's dive into the scriptures today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. The entrance of it gives light and revelation comes to us when we study it. And so, Lord, would you teach us today by your Holy Spirit and give us the grace to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we started this series called The Jesus Way, and it's based on this brilliant book by Eugene Peterson, the same person who wrote and translated The Message Bible, and I want us to wrestle with this question over the next several weeks. What does it mean for us to follow Jesus, to really follow him in the way that he calls us to? When everything has been stripped away in this season, where. Everything is not normal and we're trying to figure things out because I really believe that God's doing something in this time period. I think we're in the middle of a reset, maybe a reshaping of church life, maybe even a reformation of the American church. The whole world has been wrestling with this pandemic over the last several months, and for the first time in our lives, our worlds are like turned upside down, and, and that includes our spiritual lives, and so could it be that this is not just an interruption, and we're kind of going to go back to the way it was, but that it's an actual disruption, of everything we've known, and that God is working in our churches, in our lives, in our community to help us change, to show us something new. I believe it is. And that's why we're trying to get back to basics with the Jesus way. Now, in this series, we've been contrasting the Jesus way with the American way. And I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's Message where we dealt with the idea of we're exploring the problem of how we are so often more discipled by politics and by our news media outlets than we are by Jesus Himself. And so I think it's so important that we just lean into this series, and I want you to join me as we, as we go through this season of asking really meaningful questions of how we follow Jesus. And so let's start with something that the Apostle Paul wrote to his young son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot Iron Such descriptive language of a time in the church where there will be deception and danger and leaders whose consciences, the the idea of right and wrong, will be melted away. Now I want you to notice what it said there. It said, in later times, some will fall away from the faith. Now I don't know how that strikes you. But for me, that seems huge, and it's, it's a sobering thought to think that as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus, to, closer to the end of time, that there will be people who call themselves Christians who will actually fall away from their faith. We're seeing this actually everywhere in our modern time. About every other month, some high-profile Christian has denounced their faith, and you'll see it on your newsfeed. And so I think we have to understand what Paul tells Timothy in verse 6. He describes how he wants Timothy to deal with this. He says, if you point these things out to the brothers and the sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. So the apostle Paul his admonition to Timothy was that he needed to point these things out, that we needed to remind each other in his congregation that they needed to be warned. They needed to be careful, that there was an impending deception that will appear. And Jesus said something similar to this in John 8, verse 31 to 32. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really... My disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now this last phrase, we love this last phrase, the truth will set you free. But the key words to this verse really are hold to. You gotta hold to the teachings of Jesus. You gotta hold on to them. If you peel back the layers of that meaning of what hold to means, you'll see that uh, it means to continue to submit, to abide in, to let your mental, physical, and spiritual life be governed by and to remain in Jesus' teachings becoming steadfast in the faith. This is what hold to means. And so Jesus said that it's only when we hold to his teachings that we're able to be his disciples. It's only when we know the truth Only then that we will be able to know the truth, and that's when we'll be set free by that truth. Listen, everybody, the power of deception is that you don't know you're actually being deceived. And that's why at any time, at any moment, any one of us, and ultimately every single one of us, can be deceived. And so if there ever was a time for you and me to be grounded in the scriptures, it's now. If there was ever a time for us to be diligent in digging into the scripture and being good stewards of God's word in our lives, it's now. Because the key to all this is what Jesus said in John 14, verse 6. This is the famous passage where Jesus answers, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now notice that there are three three distinctive parts to this passage, the way, the truth, and the life. These three ideas are so significant, but I want you to see that these words are not to be disconnected. They're not to be separated. They are to be emphatically connected in other words it's only when the Jesus way is organically joined with the Jesus truth that we get the Jesus life It's only when these things are connected together integrated and I want you to see that there's a there's a problem for so many of us the, we, the Jesus Truth gets a lot more attention, far more attention than the Jesus way. And we really like the Jesus life because it's an amazing thing to pursue. But here in John 14, you got to notice that the way comes clearly and definitively first. The way comes before the truth and it comes before the life. So we can't skip the way of Jesus in our hurry to get to the truth of Jesus. As he is worshipped and proclaimed. And the life of Jesus is so amazing. We can't just skip by the way of Jesus. Because the way of Jesus is the way we practice. It is the way we come to understand. It is the way we integrate, the way we embrace the truth of Jesus in our homes and in our relationships, in our schools and in our workplaces, with our friends and our family, this then enables us to step into the abundant life that Jesus offers. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard about the popular idiom, the end justifies the means. It is widely attributed to uh, Niccolò Machiavelli. And he kind of came up with the concept. He was an Italian Renaissance diplomat, writer, and philosopher. And, he, and he's best known for his book, The Prince. But in this book, it was written in 1513, a long time ago. He's often been called the father of modern political philosophy okay, or political science. And so here's what he argues. Machiavelli argues that a ruler should do everything he can in order to maintain his position of power. Especially when there's no authority where his actions can be challenged. He argues that power is always celebrated and is an end in itself and the means or the way you get the power immaterial. And once achieved, once, once power is achieved, it just, it's justified in any way it can be attained. This, this characteristic, this idea, is part of the behavior in our society today in America. This phrase has come to mean the actions people take are justified regardless of how they go about achieving their desired result. That somehow if the end result is good or moral, that even immoral or bad behavior is acceptable in achieving that end. This is just one of the characteristics of the American way that is totally incongruent with the Jesus way. But intentionally or maybe unintentionally, I think this is how so many Christians have been living their lives. In other words, as long as I believe in Jesus, it doesn't really matter how I live. It doesn't really matter how I follow Jesus, as long as I believe. Listen to me, One Chapel, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus himself describes how we become great in his kingdom, right? He says these words, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to become the servant of all. In other words, he's saying there's a different way that you become powerful in God's kingdom. It isn't by any means necessary. It's through serving that the power actually begins to be realized or manifested. In the Jesus way, the how defines what power looks like, right? And so the Jesus way is very different from the American way because the reality is that if the nature, the nature, now go with me, if the nature of the means or the how has been compromised and is in contradiction to the nature of the end, well then, the end is desecrated it is poisoned it is it becomes a thing of horror then the end has huge implications for us <laughs> right as people who live our lives for an eternal destination last week we spoke about this where jesus describe the story of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. And the difference between those two, the sheep and the goats, was the way they followed Jesus. And so let me give you a definition for ends and means so that we can all be on the same page, All right? So ends, the ends are the goals, the destinations, the purposes, the what of life. The what of life, its ultimate meaning. But means means are the way we get to the goal, the language we use, the work we do, the the character we develop, the families and friends that we form, the how of life, the how we do life. And so the end for Jesus' followers is God's salvation work. Think about that. The end is God's work of salvation. And salvation is the work that God restores the world with and he restores us with, And it's called eternal life. Salvation is God's complete work. He brings redemption of the entire world. It becomes whole. Jesus used the phrase, the kingdom of God, to describe it. And God intends to use us in this salvation work. This is the end for Jesus' followers. And the means, what's the means to this end? Well, in one word, Jesus. Jesus, pure and simple. Again, look at what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so contrary to the whole New Age movement in our world, contrary to the universalist theology that is encroaching into so many of our churches in our world, Jesus is the only way to God. Not science, not intellectualism, not... Muhammad, not Buddha, not Hare Krishna, not an enlightened state of being. Jesus is the only way to God. And you can't take that lightly. And so if we want to participate in the end, or the salvation, or the redemption of all the earth and the kingdom of God coming, then we have to do it in the way that is appropriate to that end. We have to follow Jesus. We have to do it the Jesus way. <laughs> the Jesus way. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. He says, For in him, in him that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, Jesus is fully God. The fullness of God dwells in him. And through him, God was pleased to dwell. To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Christ Jesus came to the earth and gave himself, ended up dying on a cross and taking the sins of the entire world upon himself so that we could be free. This is the Jesus Christ way, and you and I have to embrace it. Listen, everybody, it's only through Jesus we can be reconciled to God. And so that's why we can't pick and choose the ways and means that are more to our liking. Jesus is the way, which means I can't follow Jesus any which way I like, which can really be a problem if you live in a culture that is addicted to consumerism and convenience. What the Apostle Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying, what these scriptures are teaching is my following of Jesus must be consistent with his leading. Or another way to say it would be the way Jesus leads and the way that I follow Jesus have to be symbiotic. Ooh, that's a fun word to know and say. Symbiotic. It's like integration. There's like these, these, there's a back and forth. They interchange and they interact with each other and they feed each other. There's a symbiosis. And unfortunately, I think this, this symbiotic relationship is not treated with sufficient seriousness and depth within the American church. More often than not, I think so many of us tend to embrace the ways and means that are practiced by the high-profile men and women who lead large corporations or congregations or nations or even causes, the people who show us how to make money and how to win wars, how to manage people, how to sell products, how to manipulate emotions, and who then write books or give lectures telling us how to do what they're doing. And their how-tos are characterized by going along with whatever the culture decides is charismatic or successful or influential, doing whatever needs to be done to get things done, doing whatever can gather a crowd of followers. But unfortunately, these ways and means more often than not tend to violate the ways of Jesus. One of the things that this COVID-19 pandemic has done is that it stopped almost immediately how we've been doing church for like 100 years. And so could it be that God is pushing the reset button in hopes of causing us to not just look at how we've been living our lives, but also look at how we've been trying to follow Jesus? The question is, are any of us listening? Are any of us listening to what he's saying? Are any of us noticing that the ways and means that so many of us have taken up are actually blasphemously at odds with the way Jesus leads his followers. Is anyone noticing that? Jesus uses the metaphor of the kingdom of God to define the way we live in this world as his followers. In other words, we work for, we live for, and embrace a world where Jesus is king. Which means if Jesus is king, then everything... Quite literally, everything and everyone has to be reimagined, reconfigured, reoriented to a way of life that that consists in an obedient and surrendered following of Jesus himself. And listen, everybody, it's, this is not easy. What we're talking about is not easy. It is simple, but it can be quite challenging. This is not accomplished by just returning to what was normal to your spiritual life prior to COVID-19. It's not accomplished by coming to a one or two-hour segment of church on a Sunday or participating in a prayer meeting or two or signing up for a seven-step discipleship course. It's a total renovation of our imagination, of how we think about following Jesus. Our way of looking at things and how Jesus did certain things and and really then looking at ourselves, that's what's needed. And the reason for this is because the ways and means promoted and practiced in the world are a systematic attempt to substitute human sovereignty, now go with me now, Human sovereignty for God's rule. The ways and means practiced by the world are an attempt to substitute human intellect for God's wisdom. An attempt to substitute human empowerment for God's salvation. The world world really has no interest in following Jesus unless they understand what he's all about. And you and I have the responsibility of reflecting that. So what we're trying to call attention to here in this series is the undiscriminating way in which so many of us have been embracing and adopting the ways and means that Jesus rejected. Jesus rejected these ways. Ways that are actually suggested by the promises of the devil. Think about it. The assurance of power. The assurance of influence. The assurance of domination. The assurance of success. These are the lies of the enemy, and it's these practices that blurs the distinctiveness of the way of Jesus, and ultimately opens us up to even greater deception. Now, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, a really wild passage of Scripture here in Revelation chapter 13. But I don't want you to get too distracted by your own like, end times eschatology uh, or or the pop apocalyptic picture that is represented here in the revelation of the Apostle John because he sees some really wild things. And this book of Revelation is a critical book. It's an incredible book that looks into the future. And John has this revelation, but it's full of symbols and, and signs. And so I want you to be careful here. I want you to listen as I'm reading to the problem of deception. Because today's talk is not about who the beast is or what his mark is, but rather the deception of the hearts and minds of people and the erosion of even our souls. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in the first century, and he was warning. In fact, you see, Many of the New Testament writers, warning of deception. The deception that our one enemy is trying to convince us is true. So I want you to listen to this and go with me. It's going to be a longer passage, but just go with me for a second. It says, The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and each had a blasphemous name. That is a crazy-looking creature. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and they also worshiped the beast and asked who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed and it performed great signs even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image of honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now, don't get distracted by whether or not that's a microchip or what that mark looks like. But listen to me. What this is saying is in our world today, 2,000 years ago, these words were written by the Apostle John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And now it's easier than ever to see how this kind of worldwide deception could occur, even in our lifetime. The idea of a conquering king or a, a worldwide government has been in play really since the Tower of Babel, all the way at the, near the beginning of humanity. Periodically throughout history, we've seen dictators try to use their military strength to establish rule. Just, just a, here's a little list of them, the Egyptian Empire, and the Babylonian Empire, the Hittite Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire even the German Empire. But every time that military strength was used to try and establish world dominance, every time they fell short. But today, our culture is so susceptible to so many voices. The fear of uncontrollable pandemics, the fear of economic collapse, the fear of military and terrorist threats is slowly wearing away at the core of our nation's soul and and at our individual beliefs, even our ways of following Jesus. Listen to this quote. It's really fascinating. Paul Henry Spock, who was the first president of the UN General Assembly and the first president of the European Parliament and one-time Secretary General of NATO, he said this. He said, we do not need another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people and to lift us out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and be he God or devil, we will receive him. See, the conditions are in place for deception in our world. And the reality is, regardless of how it comes about, uh, the Bible declares that this kind of thing will continue to happen. If you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 through 10, it says, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until it is, his, is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Listen, everybody, this stuff's gaining momentum. There's never been a better time for us to get back to basics and look at the Jesus way of dealing with his time, which was incredibly volatile. And to look at how Jesus asks us to live and to follow him, it's absolutely essential for every one of us in this time. And so I want to encourage you today to do three things. I want to encourage you to seek the truth of the scriptures during this season. I want you to read the Bible every day. We use Bible in one year at one chapel. Bible in one year with Nikki Gumble. Nikki Gumbel. There's a little devotion. It's brilliant. I believe that when you read the Bible every day, you get God's words in you, and you get more used to what he's saying. It's so important for us to be grounded in the truth Number two, I want you to stay grounded in your sincere and pure devotion to Jesus himself. Don't let anything get in the way. Don't let anything get in the way of your sincere and pure devotion to Jesus himself, a relationship with him. And number three, learn, let's all learn, in this time, in this season, let's learn what it really means to follow Jesus. Now, last week, in all of our in-person gatherings, we asked everyone at One Chapel, all four campuses. We announced we want you to find ten or so people who you consider safe—people that are living a similar protected life as you. Wherever, whatever condition you feel like you're in, if you need to be in a Zoom group great if you can be in person wonderful but there's already people (laughs) that you've spent time with that are in your sphere of influence and all we're asking is that we turn this group of people this community that you're already a part of into a moment to share together gather over a meal give thanks and remember Jesus when you do because this is what biblical communion really is. The breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup as you share with people. And then sit down and read together one chapter from the book of Matthew. Just read through that chapter once and then talk about it. Read through it again a second time and then, and then see what, uh, what occurs to you as you're sitting there in the room. As you read through it, let different people read it. Read it a third time and discuss how. You and I can follow Jesus. I want you to answer this question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? That's the question we're asking during this season. And I want you to do that with one another. And then pray for each other, pray together, and encourage one another as we live for the kingdom of God in this world. That's what we're after. I want to pray with you today, and I want to encourage you those of you who have maybe been consumed by the practices of the world, by the American way, you've been swept up into it, and you can hear in your heart Jesus calling you right now. You can hear him, his voice. The Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself, and and I want you to respond to him today. I don't care if you've been a Christian for a long time or if you're barely investigating the claims of Jesus. I want to lead you in a prayer And it's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer that you put your hope in Jesus, that he is who he says he is. And you trust him with your life. Come on, let's pray together. And let's look to him for everything in our lives. Father, we come to you and we look to you now. Lord, as we've opened up the scriptures, we realize there's a a chasm maybe in our own lives where we've, we've, we've left you at arm's length. We haven't allowed you to lead us and guide us. Lord, please forgive us. Lord, there may be a, a realization that we've been practicing the American way instead of the Jesus way. Forgive us. We repent. We go the other direction. We turn around. We look to you instead of to our, our friends. We look to you instead of our own way. We look to you instead of the, the ways of our culture, and we And we ask you to come forgive us, heal us, and put us on a path to healing. Lord, would you put us on a path to eternal life? Would you put us on a path with one another in community where we could follow after you and love you and experience your life? Lord, we want to adopt your way so that we can understand your truth and so that we can experience your life. It's In your name, Jesus, that we pray this together and we agree, amen.